too hot for me right now. So yeah, welcome to Product Pioneers with a new episode and a new guest from a very cool company, Grover. Hi to our friends at Grover. Today we're going to interview their CPO, uh, Johan Jensen. Johan Jensen is this amazing character that went from the UN environment program straight into tech and product management. So Johan is leading Grover's product strategy and development while continuing to expand their product as a service offering within Germany and beyond. If you don't know anything about Grover, Grover is a tech subscription service delivering circular retail and finance expertise with the aim to redefine consumption and add flexibility and circularity to the wasteful tech industry. Some cool insights about Grover and how they're doing things out there. Um, Grover is working towards goal 12, ensuring sustainable consumption and production patterns. By renting consumer tech products, they maximize the useful life of tech and improve durability and support the right to repair. This is why they're building a circular model at scale. Each device rented with Grover saves up to 5.2 devices in the traditional linear consumption model. So now let's not waste any more time and get to Johan Jensen. Johan, thank you so much for making your time to talk to us about Grover and product management. Since you're the CPO, can you please tell me like what do you guys do at Grover? How does product management take place at Grover? Cool. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So at Grover, I mean, product is really what, you know, keeps the business running and um, what the customers experience, right? Our focus is to make sure that we're building something compelling that, you know, our people want and that we adapt it over time to make it even better for, for, for what people want. So yeah, largely, I mean, I can go into a lot of detail about, you know, the, the theory, and I think we're going to do that a little bit. But I, the way I look at it is there's four things we do. Uh, we want to build it fast. Uh, we want to enable people and uh, we want to build the right thing. So those are kind of four kind of concentric circles or what we're... So that's, uh, how did you decide on making this strategic point of making it a subscription model and not just like any other company? Because yeah, like now a lot of companies are uh, adapting to the subscription model. It's still new. Uh, so yeah. what was your take on that? So uh, a lot of it actually comes from Michael, who um, founded the company in 20, back in 2015. And um, Michael's an economist. And so he kind of noted there was a gap in consumer electronics um, where the, the useful life of these products, these assets, iPhones, projectors, TVs, uh, you know, in drawers somewhere collecting dust eventually. So the, the fundamental economic principle that it's based on is this idea that to max the life of tech assets, a model where you can recirculate them uh, over time to multiple people. So you're really extracting the maximum value over time. Um, and subscription model just makes sense because then the users can essentially kind of optimize the utility of these electronics, these consumer electronics over time. I look at it, the way I think of it is kind of like tech gives people superpowers. And what Grover does is uh, we want to enable people to get access to as many superpowers as possible on you know as little money as possible. Um, and, and the subscription model allows you to do that. You can't just walk in to a MediaMarkt and buy you know their entire portfolio, but you can get a subscription to Grover and then you can get access to that entire portfolio. So that's that's kind of the the a very different way of looking at of consumer electronics. Um, whereas in the past we used to think about ownership. I want to have this thing and I want to keep it forever even if I'm not using it. Um, but we're really trying to maximize the utility of these assets. 
That's so interesting. Yeah, I'm uh, personally a fan of the subscription model. I think it makes super sense. It was so surprising, actually, that Berliners went for it. And now you guys are thinking of expanding. Like, do you want to scale? And how do you scale with uh, using the same model? Are you going to change it up? And usually the CPO or product managers, how do you normally go on about that? How do you change models or yeah, adapt yeah. it to certain markets? Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot to customers. Our user uh, research team is, is critical to deciding on how we adapt our strategy over time. So we're constantly surveying our, our customers, different topics, we're showing them prototypes, we're trying to understand if they, you know, how they see things, uh, you know, if, if what we're building for them is the right thing. And, you know, there's a lot of internal debate. There's all sorts of inputs for deciding on how you're going to build product over time. And it's, it's an ongoing process. It's not that you just make one decision and then you build towards that vision. You know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. So one example is last year, we, we, we developed this thing called the love maximization strategy. And the idea was that um, we had the highest product market fit with people that rented the longest with us. Um, so there was like a direct correlation between people that, that rent longer with Grover and how happy they are with Grover, which tells us if we focus on the people that rent short term with us, they're not going to be as happy with Grover. Um, so we really focus on the context of the use case. Why are they using Grover? And typically when people think about getting access to consumer electronics, they think about short term use cases like I'm going on vacation, I need a drone or I need a camera. And it turns out that while you know, those customers are pretty happy with Grover, um, the happier customers are the ones that have long-term use cases, like they rent to upgrade. So they knew that there's a new model coming out constantly, so they're not going to keep the same device for more than 12 to 18 months. So essentially, we asked, uh, how disappointed would you be if Grover no longer existed? Um, and we do it on an ongoing basis. And the people that tell us that they would be very disappointed, that's our benchmark. So you, you typically want over 40% of people telling you that they would be very disappointed. And, and there's, a, there's actually a blog post about this from Sean Ellis from Growth Hackers. And we actually took that as the basis. So 40 was kind of like companies that do have traction around 40%. And that's like their product market fit is 40% of it. They'd be very disappointed. And in our case, we were hitting 70 and, and 8. And especially if you looked at the long-term categories, it was much higher. So that was, that was essentially the meditation strategy. So we focused then on the people that, that score the highest on the PMF front. That's amazing. Okay, I think we just like hit a point there. We just got something out of you guys that we, that we can apply as students as well from now. On. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like NPS, but it's like for product market fit, right? Like, yeah. to... see, this is exactly why I personally am a I'm fangirling uh, Grover because you can also see it in your branding how everyone in Berlin or like the typical startups or the typical businesses in, in Germany, they're going one way, but you guys are like, nah, I'm not having this completely <laughs> different branding, <laughs> different strategies, applying things that maybe not a lot of startups that are applying. So uh, let's talk about the Spotify model, right? Was it a strategic decision from the beginning? What made you go for it? What is it? How did you adapt it within the Grover team? So when you when you mean the Spotify model, you mean kind of subscription basis or yeah. So so we're actually we're about to launch a new product um, or it's kind of an alpha right now uh, called Grover Mix. And that's getting even closer to the flat rate subscription. So this idea that you pay a fixed rate and you get access to the tech that you need. And so Grover Mix is essentially three products for 99 euros. And there's uh, you can swap the products on a regular basis. 
and you get access to our entire portfolio. And this has really been in the works for years and uh, because obviously you need a certain customer base before you can start to offer something like that with these expensive pieces of hardware. Um, and we felt, you know, there was, all, there was always talk of launching this a long time ago, um, but we needed to be really careful to make sure that we weren't kind of, you know, launching it too early. And so, so it's going into alpha mode in September. I'm super excited to get the first customers on, on Mix. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would, for us, it was always a no-brainer. It would always be a subscription model. The only question was, you know, in the early days, there was a big focus on development and partnerships. So we were very close with MediaMarkt in the early days. Um, because for them, we were a really great option to avoid committing to a long-term financing contract. Um, that's typically 50% of consumer electronics is actually financed around the world. So as in they're putting it on their credit card or they're putting it on some kind of you know, debt mechanism that they need to repay eventually, which is, which is not ideal because if you don't need the thing two months later, you still have to pay off the debt. Um, and the, the other 50% is, is people paying up front for it. Um, and so we've created kind of this new category. We don't really know what to call it. It's not Grovering. So it's like some kind of rent, basically. It's like flexible rent. Um, and that's yeah. like this third, this third new category, that um, you know, this worry-free subscription uh, model. Um, so we, we focused on like, you know, what really important parts that we, of this subscription model you don't get when you do financing or buying. And then we focus in on those. So, it's, you know, the core is really the worry-free experience. We want it to be, you know, convenient, worry-free no anxiety, you know, you pick this thing up when you're done with it, send it back. We really want to avoid being like that rental car company that charges you for every scratch and like you're constantly like anxious while you're using the thing that you can't annoy, yes. you know, you can't, and so that's a big part of it. And, and that's where like, like about a year and a half ago, we, re we reduced the, um, the Grover Care from 50% liability to uh, 10%. So you had to pay 50% to repairs. Now you pay just 10 uh, if it's in a really bad condition. If there's just small scratches, it's fine. There's, there's no cost there. So, um, yeah, hopefully. That, I mean, it's a very complex business model, but at the core, it's really just about providing this very simple, worry-free experience for the customer. The customer doesn't see, have to see all of the complexity in the background. Mm, that's interesting. I'm already brainstorming words for you. Worry-free. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we've had like, I was talking to our head of brand and head of B2B this morning and we were like, is there like a way that's not cringeworthy to like come up with a new term for this? And we're like, could we say like hardware in the cloud or like, you know, like there's just <laughs> nothing sounded cool. Like, it's, yeah. So we're, we're going to stick with rent tech. Rent tech is like the coolest we can come up with. Yeah. And it's understandable as well. Okay, so okay, now you're we're talking the business side, right, uh, of your your model and why you picked it. Let's go deeper into the teams and how you manage teams. So I hear that you are following also the same uh, Spotify model of like guilds, um, uh, squads, tribes. So how do you guys do things at uh, at Grover, and uh, what do product managers usually do from like in their day to day activities? Yeah, yeah. So we, um, so about two years ago when I joined, the CTO came in at the same time. At the time, the company was 30 people and, uh, you know, it was basically one kind of product engineering team that was working on, you know, delivering features. And it was, they were working kind of mostly in Kanban. And, and we, we knew that, you know, we were about to scale in a, in a big way. Like we went from like 30 to 130 people in the last uh, two years. We, and we wanted to make sure that we were kind of creating a sustainable, scalable um, structure. So then we started looking at different models. And I think, yeah, like, you know, a lot of people use the Spotify model. Um, for us, what was really important um, was that we could create basically like multiple 
parallel squads that were able to work independently because we had big bottlenecks. Like we spent six months building this one thing for Mediamarkt and we couldn't build anything else. So that was like clearly like something was not right. If we can only, you know, we have to focus. And um, so yeah, the way we work is essentially we have these squads. The squads are within groups uh, and then the group sitting within segments. So the segments essentially are um, kind of an acquisition segment, a retention segment, and an expansion segment. And then within those those larger segments, uh, we break it down into groups. Um, so for example, on the retention segment side, we have like the delivery group, and they're focused on the fulfillment and logistics or operations side of things. And within that, then we have squads that are dedicated uh, to to delivery. And uh, so some some so some some focus more kind of on the uh, the infrastructure for uh, refurbishment and warehouse operations, uh, whereas uh, the other squad would focus a lot more on the the customer experience on like the checkout, for example. So for delivery options and scheduling deliveries and things like that. So yeah, so essentially it's working along the customer journey. I and mean, so the segments reflect the customer journey, the groups reflect the customer journey, and the squads also reflect the customer journey. I think it's like uh, I think it's Conway's law that basically says that like when you build software, the structure of the organization will uh, determine the software that you build. So you really want to make sure that you have these cross-functional customer focused structures yeah. within it, not just the departments themselves and uh, um yeah so so far that works really well with us and you know there's always there's, like a challenge to like maintain these structures and kind of stick to the the, the cross-functional approach because there's always a lot of pull towards changing uh the teams to you know operate in a lot more of a kind of waterfall department driven approach <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, to to explain the value of having these autonomous uh, uh, squads, but so yeah, sometimes you've got um, different parts of the organization working, you know, in kind of different like frameworks or, or methodologies. Um, so you know, finance might be operating, in a, you know, very classical kind of waterfall model, and and how do you bridge those two? How do you how do you I call it like alignment nirvana? How, how do you? you know, <laughs> How do you agree on a way to get work done across different departments when product engineering is very much focused on cross-functional uh, delivery or and, and the rest of the organization has a different model? So you're saying that you have like now you've scaled not only within the, the business itself, but you also scaled with the teams. How do you make sure that you are all um, unified in your in your vision? You know, but since now you have different squads, what do you normally do? Like how can you organize these yeah. teams, making sure that they're all working towards one thing at the end of the day. Yeah, I think, I mean, part, a lot of that is, is strategy. And I think early on, it's really easy to ignore strategy and, and just get stuff done. Um, and a lot of people hate meetings. So they're not actually writing code. But, uh, and I come from a world where I've had like both examples of like no meetings and just versus I used to work at the UN and that was just meetings oh. every day. And then I in corporate or meetings, meetings, meetings. Um, and no, like you didn't have like an empty slot in your calendar because you're just in meetings all day. And, and I think like in a different stages in the startups growth in, or in the product maturity, you need to also think about how many meetings are okay and what, you know, what are you actually going to get done in these meetings? Um, so we have a few things that I think work pretty well for us, um, but we, constantly have to adapt them. Every few months, we're constantly revisiting and thinking, okay, can we do this thing better? Um, one thing I think that's really been useful uh, across the whole mission is we send out these weekly product updates that are essentially just summaries from each of the squads. And it just highlights the, the few things that have been achieved this week, any roadblocks or blockers, and, and what's being planned uh, for the upcoming week. Sometimes they go into a little bit more of a timeline, uh, but it's really focused on now. And they can provide more details 
but essentially the email is like a digest of what all the squads are working on. And what's, it's really useful for the engineers that are working remotely that don't have the context of what's happening across the other squads. But it's also really, it's really useful for the rest of the organization to see what's happening uh, on, on the product side. And not only that, but we also include um, updates from the rest of the organization. So, and we, we use these meetings that we hold to funnel that information. So we do like a Thursday, we have a, a all hands product uh, stand up where we have about um, 15 to 20 people from across the organization, including all the product managers. And they give a two minute update on what they've been working on this week uh, or since the last meeting and, and what they're going to work on to the next meeting. That means stand up rules basically. And, uh, and then we take, we actually take notes. Um, our product operations manager takes notes on the non-product people, what they're doing, and then puts them into this email so that everyone in the organization can kind of get a glimpse and, when you're making a movie and you've got the final cut and every Thursday afternoon we get the final cut and we get to see how it all fits together. Um, so that's kind of like on the short term, how we, how we kind of, you know, reach this <laughs> alignment nirvana. Um, and then in the longer term, we do these product uh, strategy uh, sessions uh, every quarter. And there essentially we, we pick um, certain topics that we want to address. Usually we'll look at like one specific segment and make sure that kind of our strategy for the quarter makes sense. And we set objectives and it's basically OKR setting exercise that, uh, that, we, that we do. And then we take it to the squads and then we take it to leadership later review. But the, th those are really important for kind of like the high level strategy, like, okay, what, like are we going in the right direction? Are we setting the right metrics? To, and um, to the weekly product updates and the, the strategy sessions. That's a bulk of kind of what I find to like really help like drive good communication across the organization. Um, and that's what you're doing as a product manager, aside from like stopping fights. If you're, like, <laughs> you're, you're like, you're just trying to make sure people communicate better. Because if they communicate better, they won't fight as much. Absolutely. I think, yeah, uh, one of our guests, Kareem Beltaji, was saying, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the, I was the blocker clearer. <laughs> 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 it's amazing how like product managers, we always have like these like titles for our, for our jobs, you know, for our role, depending on the situation. <laughs> so yeah, I like I like the Nirvana bit um, a lot actually. I'm gonna start using it in our team uh, once I have one. <laughs> yeah, you can you feel you feel the vibe. You're like okay, that went well. That went well. I think we're in Nirvana. You know, we're we're, we're in that line in Nirvana. But that'll last for like a few days or like a week or two, and then you need to get back into it. You know? just, exactly. <laughs> so okay, so now basically. Grover is scaling, right? So what are you guys planning to do now? What, what is the next steps for Grover? Um, I hear uh, something about circular economy. What is circular economy? Yeah, so, okay, so I, I'm going to get the definition completely wrong, but essentially the idea is that, you know, normal products run like a linear life cycle where they get manufactured, they get used, and then they get thrown away and then generally not recycled. Um, mm. The idea of the circular economy is uh, promoting kind of this idea of sustainable development, which is to ensure a future for future generations or some, something along those lines. Um, so to make sure that we don't have a negative impact on future generations. And so circular economy ties in really nicely with that. Um, so the idea is that uh, we want to provide, uh, so, you know, with consumer electronics, for example, there's a lot, like e-waste is a massive problem. And so what Rover is trying to do is build this into a business model. And it's really, the, I think, 
I think there's a lot of companies that are doing this, like for waste management, for, for, for different uh, areas. Like there's a really cool startup in Sweden called Karma, um, and they do this for like restaurant waste. And it's just like maximize kind of the, the utility of these different um, consumables. Uh, but whereas with Grover, our focus is really like, how do we, yeah, how do we like get the maximum out of these devices? Um, and so we, we did actually a sustainability assessment in Q4 last year. I can, I can share more details kind of um, on topic. Um, we've got a blog post actually on, on blog.grover.com where we go into detail on kind of the sustainability impact of what we do. And it's, it's really impressive to see like the, the amount of e-waste that we actually get um, consumed um, on a linear model um, is very different. And so um, and we've, we have over 100,000 assets in circulation right now. And on average, like a, an asset that gets, that gets used on Grover um, will have um, four times less e-waste um, than, than an asset that you would consume normally. Um, so, so I think it's nice that it's kind of very nicely in line with principles of circular economy, you know, up from, from the EU level all the way to kind of the, the UN kind of uh, concept. That's highly insightful because I, when I read it, I, it was a complete misconception of what I had uh, in mind. I thought it was to um, reduce, reduce cost, basically, to benefit the, the company itself. And I had no idea that it had anything to do with the sustainability. <laughs> so that's really yeah. good. Yeah, it, it's, I, mean, I, think, I think a lot of businesses going forward are have, going to have to think around these, this topic because um, it's, it's really thinking in the same way that like project management, you're thinking in terms like short, short term in terms of I've got a project that's going to start and it's going to end. It's a very linear way of thinking about creating value. Circular economy, the concept is like, how do I extract the most value and, and you know, with the least amount of waste, right? And so you're really maximizing. So hardware, like for us, durability is a big topic. We would love to see iPhones that you know don't have built-in uh, obsolescence or whatever it's called, because for us it's great. So you really want to align the business interests with the sustainability interests. But it's not something that we really use in our marketing at all. But it informs, I think, the theory behind um, the, the business. But we really want to be careful not to kind of become you know like greenwashing the message because um, there's other factors to think about, right? Like what about the packaging that we use? And so that's also a consideration for us. Is you know there is a lot of like delivery that's happening. Uh, or shipping kind of waste as well. And, and it's something that we're also you know, thinking about how, how, to, how to address over time. But it fits perfectly with your model. Um, and also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you guys also like rent out refurbished stuff? So we, um, so, yeah, so we have this kind of great condition promise where the assets are as good as new or new. Um, so you shouldn't be able to detect the difference between them. So for example, if you're renting an iPhone or a, a, a Samsung or, and, and your battery does not last as long as the first person, that's not okay. And so that we, you know, so we do, we replace the batteries. We want to make sure that you have the same experience that it had you bought it as new, um, it would have, uh, would have been. So, yeah. So generally, depending on like you'll you'll either get a new product, it's like a recent arrival, for example, uh, or you'll get a recirculated uh, product. But if there's a problem with the product, you can send it back immediately. Um, it doesn't happen so often because we, from the warehouse, we do a check to make sure that it's in, in the right condition, and we wipe the software, we wipe all the devices as well, so there's no privacy issues. We have this military grade like erasing software, so yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I can see like from from A to Z that your model fits perfectly with, with the messaging that you're trying to give out to, to the outer world, not, you, not only internally. So my question for you, my last question for you is, what do you look for in a product manager? 
to join in Grover? What is, what is like the, the main key points of what you want in a product manager? Yeah. Give us your secrets. Top secret, yeah. So I think the, I, I, I was interviewing someone yesterday and they asked me the same question. So I think I'm, <laughs> um, energy is really important because as a product manager, you are the hub between, uh, for many people. I don't think there's one specific type of product manager. Maybe that like is more design focused, more data focused, analytics focused, maybe um, a little bit more engineering focused. Um, you have people that are incredible stakeholder managers. You have people that are really good on uh, estimating and timelines. But the one thing that like you need for all of those energy, someone that can bring energy to the room and can make people feel comfortable uh, and make them feel like the, everyone else is the smartest person in the room. Uh, those for me are the two most important things. So, so really having, having the energy, because some days it's really bad and, and doing a, a thankless job sometimes. Um, but if you can come there with a smile, you'll find that the reaction from other people is also usually much better. Um, and the second is if, you're, if you can have the humility to make everyone else feel smarter than you, even if you're the smartest person. Um, that's also really important. It changes the dynam dynamics a lot. And in terms of like just, you know, sheer skills, I think there's every, like everyone that we've hired in the past usually has like one of those areas down because they, they've, you know, either they've, they're incredible designers as well as product managers or they're incredibly good at scheduling and estimating, but you kind of want one superpower at least um, to bring to the table. I think those are, those are kind of the most important, I would say. Okay, a follow-up question, because now this is interesting for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, if you had a product manager that you just hired, right? Yeah. And you would see, for example, like how, what their superpower is. Maybe they're, they're saying that their superpower is something, but you're seeing them fitting somewhere else within the team. Um, do you have it as part of your, your management style? to actually move up people and uh, really analyzing their skill set and moving them like to more than one role uh, until you find exactly what they're really good at. Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've done this uh, in the past and this is something like our, 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 our sorry, uh, the mission for Grover used to be removing artificial barriers or something. It was a very broad mission statement. Um, but I think it also applies to people that work at Grover. Like you can't have these artificial barriers on people. And just because someone comes into the organization for a specific role, they should be adaptable enough to move on to, we should be adaptable enough to put them in the position where they belong. But sometimes it doesn't work, right? Like when I joined, actually, I thought, okay, wait, we need more product managers. Where can I get product managers from the organization? And I took a design intern and I took our lead designer and I made them product managers. But what the, like the lead designer, that was like not, that was not good. It was like, it just didn't work. But the design intern is an absolute genius. Uh, not, not a genius, but he's just like, that is the role he was made to do. Whereas like our design lead was made to be an incredible designer. And that's what, you know, when um, we tried him outside of that, but it, he made more sense as design lead. And, um, and then now the design intern that he used to have, like, you know, he's, he's an absolute like rock star product manager for us. And he's still there. So, yeah, I think that's important to be able to. And I, I think people want to have that flexibility. They want to be able to, like, see that they're, they can change. Like, we don't spend as much or we don't focus as much on kind of the hierarchy. I mean, I, every organization is hierarchical, even if they stay off the hierarchies. For me, it's more about are you doing what you can do as well as you can do it? And I apply that to, like, anyone that works in, in, in my teams. But, yeah, and so you want to optimize for that. And anything that gets in the way of that, I think.
That's true. Yes, I think I completely agree with you. I think now we need to start adapting into this new style of no, let's we say we're we're customer centric, but we also need to be team centric, right? And see how we can maximize the ability of some some person. I mean, that's why we have like roles, right? And like managers and CPOs and and all yeah. C levels, so that they can they can tell us what we're where we fit best. Also, it should happen kind of organically as well, somehow, you know, because if it's too top down, the, the assignment. But I think that's a lot of what I do in, with the CTO is we're constantly kind of, you know, thinking, okay, how do we fit this puzzle better? How, you know, how can we move someone around? But you don't want to do it too often either because people get, if you, if you, if you change up squads too often as well, that becomes an issue. Um, yes. But there's always an alignment between myself and, and the CTO to make sure that we're like thinking about people's personalities and their strengths and which engineers should be working with who and, and, um, yeah, that's a constant kind of discussion that's, that's, that's happened. Um, I think it's super important. And yeah, but, um, yeah. That also, that the product managers give feedback as well and say, you know, I don't really feel comfortable doing this. I think I would be better, sure, you know, trying something else. Um, but as an organization grows, and I, have, I don't have the answer to this, people tend to specialize and they get locked in. You know, we're still 130 people. When we're at 500 people, we can talk again and see if, you know, we have that same malleability and we can move people around. And, you know, because you usually hire very, like, you hire specialists. Um, and specialists typically don't want to be changing roles. Maybe they should. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're generalists as uh, product managers, right? So maybe it fits us, but not the not the necessarily the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I make that mistake a lot thinking about the other departments as well, and thinking, well, why can't you just be more like product? And it's like, well, yeah, but they have a very different goal. I mean, their 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 objectives are different than ours. Ours are very much kind of this, yeah, just jack of all trades and jumping in and out of different contexts. Um, but if your goal is to sell something, it's a very specific sales role you know, maybe you can't apply those same rules. And uh, that's common, I think, like, just as humans, you know, we like to, like, apply our our perspective to everyone else. Absolutely. Okay, so basically right now what we do is at the end of the episode, we always give the last words to our guests. So I'm going to put you on the spot there <laughs> and oh. leave the stage to you, whatever that you want to say, maybe a message or recommendations, whatever that you want to do. The stage okay. Okay, super cool. Uh, wow. I'm, uh, you know, I think for this audience of product people, like uh, one of my favorite quotes comes from, um, I can't even remember the guy's name, and he was at Facebook and Dropbox and he scaled the teams uh, during like massive hyper growth. And he, he always said that, you know, in good times, don't get too arrogant. And in bad times, don't get too depressed. You're going to go through all of those. It's, uh, it's very intense work, but focusing kind of, you know, looking back and seeing the progress that you've made. Uh, over the months, uh, just write a list of all the things that you did. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's really, it's really useful. It's really, it's really important that we kind of take stock of like the, the successes that we've had and also the failures, and and not beat ourselves up too much about it because it is it is a very demanding position, but it's also very fulfilling. And I absolutely love working product. I used to work in conflict resolution at the UN, where we were in post-conflict countries, um, usually armed conflict, and I find this to be more fulfilling. Uh, working in product, just because you see the impact directly when you when you work in the UN and you're doing these like big workshops, with, you know it's it's you're completely detached from the outcomes. Whereas in product, you get immediate feedback, either from your users or people working in the organization, stakeholders, and so on. So, so it's a great job. I love it. Uh, anyone that works in product, uh, I think you should be you know very proud for the, for the work that you do. Yay! Yay to Yay. us! <laughs> Sell five. Sell five. Every every product manager in the world. <laughs> High five. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, Johan. This has been so much fun talking to you. Um, your energy is literally like booming. Even <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and we're having so much fun. Thank you for taking the time. What an episode. I had so much fun talking to Johan. Your energy, like I said earlier, is booming out of the screen. To sum it all up for you guys, we talked about their subscription model, how they adapted the Spotify model within their management and their organizational structure, them scaling to another countries and seeing exactly how they can adapt that strategy towards other markets. And last but definitely not least, we talked about their approach towards circular economy and how they're offering additional financial services to different domains that require different approaches to backlog grooming and planning. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and give us a shout out, share, like, do all of that shenanigans. And if you are, and if you want to follow us on Instagram, follow us at Code University. If you want to know more about what Code is doing and how we do things, check us out at Code.Berlin. And again, thank you so much Logitech for the amazing equipment that you just hooked us up with because now our voice is more professional. All right, so enjoy the heat. Because I'm not, I'm not enjoying it at all. <laughs>